0: following along is not mentioned in the King James Version. In the King James Version, the fruits of the Spirit are listed as love, joy, peace, which we've talked about, long-suffering, so on and so forth. Sorry, my shoes are a little squeaky this morning. Just bear with me. And I think it's really important or, or interesting, because we're going to have some fun this morning, um, with linguistics, okay? Um, I think it's really important and interesting that the word long-suffering is in the King James Version because it actually gives us a window into what we think of as patience today, people who suffer for a long time. And, and, and uh, I can go through the etymology of this, and I'm going to, because this is a proper expository word study sermon um, for which you will likely need patience uh, for those of you who grew up in expository word study sermon churches. But uh, it goes something like this. Uh, we have a phenomenon in English, uh, or every language um, has this phenomenon, etymology. It's this idea that words, they come from something. They come from a root. They come from, a pre- in, in the case of English, which is a relatively new language, they come from older languages. Um, so, in this case, the etymology for the word patient comes from Latin, which comes from Greek. Okay? Long story. But uh, we, we have uh, kind of a homophone going on here with the word patient. Um, I've written something that's kind of interesting because we have two words for patients. It means two things. For many of us who have worked in healthcare, we pick up on it right away. For those of you who have not worked in healthcare, um, Patients and patients are different things. But I'll say it this way. My mother, who is a nurse, has a lot of patience when dealing with her patients, which is important because as a chaplain, there were a lot of nurses who didn't have patience for their patients. Right. <laughs> which meant that I had to have a lot of patience when dealing with those patients because their patients had been tested. You see how these words... You immediately pick up what I'm saying, and you understand it, and your brains are amazing things, and you're able to separate out, and you know which one of those words is is supposed to be the other. But actually, let me just say the first sentence again. My mother, who is a nurse, has a lot of patience testing her patience. Both of those words could be exchanged. She has a lot of patience testing her patience, and she has a lot of patience testing her patience. You see how these words, they they are homophones in the English language. They're spelled differently, but they sound the same and they mean different things. But actually what we fail to understand or what we fail to realize is that um, they're not really homophones. And you're going to have to bear with me here because I think this is actually important because it dictates how we view the concept of biblical patience, especially in Greek. They're kind of cousin synonyms because they actually come from the same root. And this is where we're going to have this. Pathos is how we get both words in English for patient. Which which means the one who is suffering. So when we talk about a person who is being patient, the origin of that word in English is a person who's suffering. And a hospital patient obviously is a person who's suffering. We can see that it's very clear. Even though we might see those things differently, etymologically, or, or linguistically, or um, what's the other word, uh, philologists, uh, philo- philologetically, philologetically, they are the same word. OK? And this is important because of one thing. Pathos, which is Greek, which eventually becomes Latin and then eventually becomes patient is not the word that's in the Greek text when it says love, joy, peace, patience. It's not pathos or pasco. It is macrothymia or macrothymia, which is a totally different word. If it was going to be a person who's suffering, it would use the word pathos or what's the other one? Um, I wrote it down here just for your uh, fun. Um, Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, asthenis, which is uh, a person who's weak. That's another word for hospital patient. So a person who's weak or suffering, that's hospital patient. But, but macrothumea, no, th- it's completely different. It's a completely different word. Macrothumea is a compound word in Greek. We have these all the time. The Greeks like to combine two words that mean shorter things to make one word that means something that's longer. We don't do this in English very much, like heretofore we do that with, but like very rarely do we do this in English. We usually separate out the words. If anything, we put a hyphen in between them. But in Greek, you don't have to. You just stick them right together. So macro thumea. Macro, long, thumea, wrathful, anger, or long, angering. I want you to see how this is different than patient as a person who's suffering and what our culture and what our Western English interpretation of this word has done. We have said that to be a person who takes a long time to get angry is a form of suffering. That might not seem like anything, but it is. Because it dictates how we view the rest of the text. This is why I wanted to do Psalm 103, as part of this, it talks about God being slow to anger. These are it's, it's all over the text. God's always slow to anger. But we actually don't necessarily view that as a virtue anymore. We don't view patience in the Galatians list of the fruits of the Spirit, patience in the way of slow angering. We don't view that as virtuous. We view a person who can suffer for a long time, that's virtuous. But not a person who takes a long time to get angry. The only time in English when we have the word patient mean long-angering is when we use the last little part of my fun uh, homophone phrase, testing my patience." We get it a little bit there. We know that when you're testing somebody's patience, they're not necessarily suffering. They're just, you're testing how long it'll take for them to snap, to go off. I have an amazing quality to test patients of people. I, I developed it early. Um, at some point, I realized, I'm going to step off the stage because I'm testing your patience with my squeaking shoes. Um, I realized pretty early that I was really good at testing people's patience when I started playing sports. And normally, people who are very kind, generous people would, like, in my presence, become monsters. Uh, Most, I'll call him out because, you know, he's a pastor, he'll get it. Um, Most notably is my home pastor, uh, Pastor Hawkinson, who is perhaps one of the meekest, mildest individuals you'll ever meet in your life. Just a nice man who puts on his glasses, he clips them, they're always here, he clips them in front of him and he goes, you know, things about God, like, so important that we talk about the love of God. I could make him scream and holler at me on a softball or basketball court. I have an amazing quality to test people's patience. And I think it's because I have, very, I have a very short fuse myself. If you went through all of the um, list of the Galatians, Fruits of the Spirit, your pastor probably struggles most. I've said I, last two weeks, I said I struggle with joy, I struggle with peace. Yes, it's true. I think we all struggle with all of them. Struggle with love. The one that I particularly struggle with is patience, in the biblical sense. See, I'm very good at being long-suffering. That's not a problem for me. But I'm very, very bad at being slow-angering, slow-wrathing. I almost immediately fly off. So I know firsthand how being slow to anger is a virtue. Because oftentimes the reason that I tested other people's patients is because I myself had such a short fuse that when I flew off so quickly, they were caught off guard and started going. Has a, Sin has a, a nice cyclical cycle like that. Your sin can really trip somebody else up. Your problems can really trip somebody else up. But it's really important that we make the etymological distinction. That patient, in the term of the Galatians list, is not long-suffering, as the King James says. That's the English interpretation of what patience would produce in an individual. But that's not what the Greek says. The Greek says something different. Just a little anecdote, I was at the DMV last week. What a place to have firsthand knowledge of patients. It was the fourth DMV I had been to that day. Just kidding, only the third. But I almost went to the fourth one. PSA, if you need to get title work done, the Orland Park DMV does not do title work. Also, the Lockport DMV recently stopped doing title work. Was it on their website? No. Was it on a piece of legal-sized printer paper in 16-point font on their door? Yes. This is what the DMV qualifies as adequate notice that they have stopped doing title work. But luckily, before making my way to... uh, what's the other one? Um, I forget the name of the town. Something with an M. Midlothian. Before making my way to the Midlothian one, which was also qualified as a full-service DMV on the Secretary of State's website, I asked the Lockport DMV to call the Midlothian DMV, who alerted them that, yes, in fact, they had ceased title work as recently as two weeks ago. So I wound up in Joliet, And I saw firsthand that English-speaking individuals, because language shapes, we talked about this a couple months ago, language shapes the way you see the world. English-speaking individuals felt as though they were hospital patients, long-suffering in the Lockport DMV. Even though the line was relatively short, it was like, I can't believe they made me take a number. I was like, you'll wait for your ham with a number. You'll wait for an hour and a half at Joanne Fabrics with a number. But you won't wait for three and a half minutes with a number of the DMV, because expectation is reality. They were like, I took this number, and it's 75, which means there's 74 people in front of me. They just call 72, man. Like, just chill out. It's going to be okay." But us in English. We we have confused these things. We have. Even if you're not even believing me right now, I'm just telling you, we've done it. We've properly confused these things. But I want to give you a different definition of patience. Man, this thing is sensitive this morning. A difference testing my patience. Different definition of patience. Give you four terms forbearance, that's one of the ways in which it's qualified, and other biblical translations, forbearance, tolerance, it's, par- it's part of patience, restraint, self-control under torment, which is, I think, what they mean by long-suffering, but that's not what long-suffering means, and those four things means that mean that patience has an inverse relationship with another common thing that we miscategorize in the English language, which is pride. Pride is often thought of as a positive trait of individuals. The Bible does not see pride as a positive trait of individuals. You may see pride as a positive trait of individuals, that's fine, it's just not what the Bible says. The Bible clearly outlines that pride is, if not the chief and most most important sin to address, in the top three, pride is one of the worst things, according to the Old and New Testaments, that individuals go through. It is the most separating thing from God. Just saw screw tape uh, letters in, on is, as a theater production yesterday. It was really, really, really good. And they, C.S. Lewis does a great job in that book of illustrating how, even in the British church of the 1940s, Pride at that point was seen as a positive trait, being proud of yourself, being proud of your church. And it has an inverse relationship with patience. And you might not think of these things as being opposites, being prideful and being patient. But they are. And I think that this is where we get a lot of the stories in the New Testament and in the Old Testament about people getting angry at prophets. And let me explain why. Because when people think that they have answers to things, when they are sure that they are right, they have no patience. None. It's impossible to have patience when you are so positive about yourself. This is why I think the Pharisees had such an issue with Jesus. The Pharisees are identified. A lot of people think that their issue is legalism. It's not. The the Pharisees' issue is pride. And, And it's clearly identified in the scriptures. I can point to you three different times when Jesus calls the Pharisees out, not for being legalistic, but for being prideful about their legalism. And they have such an issue with Jesus. Because, precisely because they are so 100% sure about their reading of the text, so 100% sure about their interpretation of God, so 100% sure about everything that they think that they know, that when Jesus comes along, they have no patience to hear him. None. Even though Jesus is able to deconstruct everything that they've created, he's able to completely tear down all of their monuments of faith. He's able to completely outline a different way of being. He is a complete revisionist in the way in which he reads the Torah, meaning that he goes back to the Torah and he says, look, you guys are misinterpreting this text. He doesn't throw away the Torah. He reinterprets it. They are so sure of themselves in their pride that they lack all... All patience for him. Now the tax collectors on the other hand are very teachable because they have no pride in their interpretation. No pride. Do you ever hear a tax collector in the entire biblical text questioning Jesus' interpretation? Never. Even the one good Pharisee that's named Nicodemus, he even questions Jesus' interpretation of the text. He just does so in a better way. But understand that pride and patience have an inverse relationship. I think that we have a complete and, oh man, it's sensitive. We have a complete and utter inability to understand what it is like to be slow to anger today. And just like the Pharisees, we are very, very quick to snap off today. I have talked so many times about us being a non-patient culture a drive through microwave, iTunes match culture. I want it now. I don't want to wait. Netflix, show me the next episode. I'm not going to wait until next week. I'm going to, you know how many people in my life did not watch a season of a show that they liked because until it came out on Netflix because they said, I'm not going to be able to wait to watch next week. I mean, my goodness, they are speeding up baseball and football because people lack patience. They've changed the rules. Understand. But this being a non-patient culture, completely in the same way that understanding patience is suffering, has changed our definition of patience. Being a non-patient culture has changed the way that we have discourse with one another. I believe. If you want the greatest example of polarity in this country, it is politics. And I'm not going to take any side. I am going to say that the people on the left and the people on the right think that they know a lot more than they actually do. And that's why when the people on the left and the people on the right come into contact with one another and they are both 100% sure in all their fiber of their being that they are the right one, your Facebook thread becomes very long very quickly with very angry people. Because nobody is waiting to hear what the other person has to say. Because why do I need to hear what that so-and-so supporter says? I am already right. Why do I need to have patience? They just need to get smarter. But this is incredibly detrimental to the church, this concept. What we have become as a culture hugely detrimental to the church hugely this i believe is the primary reason why my generation is walking away from the church because we have now viewed the church in the same way as we view other things that we are 100 percent right about our selective interpretation of scripture and no one can ever tell us that anything that we read is different than what it actually what i think it says when we become that way about our faith We do violence to our history, first of all, because Christians are a long interpreter. Our entire religion is founded on one guy, hear this, who read the Torah differently than other people. I mean, yes, we can talk about the death and resurrection of Christ. Those are important things to talk about in church. But if you do so, you skip about 90%, 95% of what Jesus did on earth. The first 95% 95% of what Jesus does on earth, that's represented in the Gospels, is about him teaching revisionists, reading the Torah and going, You might not have it exactly right. You might actually need to go back to the text and read, text and read it again. That's what Jesus' entire earthly mission is about. You guys have lost the true meaning of the story underneath a lot of interpretation. And so not only does Jesus do that, but then Paul does that. You know, we're all Pauline Christians in the Reformation church. Paul does that. He reforms the church of Jerusalem. He is is not even satisfied with what Peter, the guy who Jesus told to run the church, how he's running the church. Paul has to go and go back and, and, and revise that. And Peter, with overwhelming patience for how Peter seems to be in the rest of the Bible, accepts the rebuke and goes, yeah, you're right, I could have had it wrong. And then you go to Augustine, and I could go through church history, and you'd be very bored, but you get all the way up to, you know, there are a lot of reforms, even though we don't talk about them as uh, reforms, they are reforms, and then eventually you get to Martin Luther, who completely throws a monkey wrench into the thing, and we are a Reformation church. We are literally a church that is founded out of people looking at what everybody else believes about the Bible and going, you know... Let's withhold judgment on interpretation. Let's just go with the text. That's why the Evangelical Covenant Church, our first affirmation, is that the, the Holy Word of God or the, the, the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, are the Word of God, the Old and New Testament, are the Word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. Any interpretation, you can extend that out to, any interpretation of the Bible do not qualify. Our denomination, even our most recent Reformation, our denomination, identifies this. So we have reformers all the way down the line. And I think that the church's inability to be patient, especially with non-believers, but even with each other, is the reason why we are, by and large, losing the fight, for lack of a better term. We're losing the fight. We're on the losing side. For the first time in the history of the church, we're not growing. We're dying. And I believe it's because we've misinterpreted patience as, well, I'm just going to suffer for God, which is an admirable thing, instead of saying, I could be not 100% right with my interpretive strategies. And so this is my one, one thing, I think, that could increase the patience in your life. And trust me, when I say that the patience is a gift just like love, joy, and peace, that you can't do this by yourself, you can't make it this way, you have to pray for it, and you have to, you have to get into the Holy Spirit, and you have, to, you have to allow God to change you because this is not something that happens easily, this is something that happens over time and painfully. The one thing that you could do that could assist God in the process of giving you the, the fruit, which is patience, the one thing that you can do is start admitting that you could be wrong. We talk a whole lot about how if the church was the most loving organization, we would be a compelling witness. You know when people say, preach the gospel, use words only when necessary. If we were the best at taking care of the poor or single mothers or orphans or or widows, not just single moms who have left, who have been left. Well, then people would come to the church. I think at this point, what the church probably needs is a lot of people who are willing to go out and go, hey, I could be wrong about some of this stuff, but this has changed my life. This has changed my life right or wrong. I I think, coming from my perspective, as a person who exists in the world where people are primarily walking away, the levels of, people my age who have my level of education are the least likely to attend church. If you wanted to know the one thing that I would look for in a church, I would look for a church that was willing to say, to preach boldly the truth that they believed and be willing to say we could be wrong. If we could become a church, not just our church, but the church, we're relatively small, have a little bit of impact, we'll do it again. If we can become a church, capital C Church, that is willing to say we might need a reformation, We might need to read the text differently. We might not have all the answers, but we're just doing the best we can with what we got. I think that could be something. I think there's a lot of people out there that want to have the conversation of faith. They just don't want to have it with somebody who's not going to answer their questions with canned responses. So that's my, my, my one encouragement. Because that's what this is about. The table is about admitting that we're one body, as much as we agree or disagree, we're one body, and that all of us were wrong. At least at some point. Even Peter says that Jesus shouldn't have to die. The guy who was at the top of his game, faith-wise. You shouldn't have to die, Jesus. Jesus says, well then you haven't gotten it yet. So come to the table this morning, not because you understand it, but because you're willing to hold your right opinions rightly and your wrong opinions rightly. You're willing to hold your opinions in such a way that honor God with your actions, that put love, peace, joy, kindness first by going with patience. Be a people who is patient, who is tolerant, who is forbearant, who who, it's not suffering to hear somebody else's perspective. You never know. Maybe the fruit of patience in you will inspire the fruit of faith in someone else.